1: From the producers of Jury Duty and The
2: Bachelor. We have scoured the earth. For the 14 greatest reality contestants that were available during our production window. Comes a reality competition show about reality competition shows. What in gay hell have I got myself into? The Goat,
3: premiering on Freebie and Prime Video on May 9th. When she passed away, I was in college and I got a phone call from one of my aunts and she said... I just heard your friend died. And I didn't know who she was talking about. (laughs) And I was like, who? And she said Madeline Kahn. And and, um, she was right. That was my friend when I was young. She was my friend. That's who I spent my afternoons with after school and who I would watch all the time. Like, um, I spent a lot of time with her. Everyone's got their thing.
2: Leave the knife. Take the cannoli, guys. It's episode nine. Family business. Guys, we're almost at the end of our Dexter time. I'm getting so sad, but I won't. I won't cry. Not yet. I'm one of your hosts. David Magadoff. with me is my wonderful effervescent co-host, Miss Claire Kramer. Good morning, Claire Kramer.
4: Good morning, David. How are you?
2: delightful because we have on not only a wonderful guest today, I'm not even going to say his name quite yet, but we have a wonderful episode for you. We're going to recap episode nine. We have on Mr. Michael Cyril Creighton later. Yes, Fred Jr. himself. You know him from Dexter New Blood, Only Murders in the Building, High Maintenance Game Night, The Post, of course, the Oscar winning spotlight. And he's going to talk about his love of Madeline Kahn. But We'll get to there. We'll get there. Okay, guys. Uh, right now, we have on uh, with us a very special guest, a dear friend of mine, the writer of episode nine, co-writer of episode six, executive producer of Dexter New Blood, a writer of many, many, many of the seasons of Dexter. I think, darn it, maybe all of them. Uh, Peabot award-winning, Jessica Jones writing, Iron Fist writing, Inhumans even, Mr. Scott Reynolds. Hello, Scott Reynolds.
1: Hey, it's good to be here.
4: <laughs> yeah, that's quite an intro. I don't know. I don't really know what you say after that. Just like, thank you.
2: <laughs> Thanks a lot, man. I dig it. <laughs> uh, king of the universe himself. So Scott, uh, this was a very, very wonderful special episode. So we're going to start just talking about it ourselves. And then we're going to ask you uh, how you made it so wonderful. Sound good? I'm here. Okay, great. Claire, what did you think of uh, this amazing episode?
4: <sighs> wow, it was, you know what, it was It was satisfying (laughs) from a personal standpoint, David. You know why. You know why. Because I finally got the the confirmation that I was correct with the (laughs) ring of ladies that he was preserving for his... Now, I thought it was in the cave. It was not in the cave. It was in the underground hidden bunker. So that was a little bit of a surprise. And I love that Harrison used the drone to fight, you know, used used Mr. Codwell's own gift against him, if you will. <laughs> the drone um, came
2: back. The it all came, came back, back. That
4: when I saw the woman, I was I was very satisfied personally. Also, the fact that he did not view it as harming them. He was saving them. And we talked a lot about that with the character. You know, What a great he, guy, right? <laughs> he truly felt he was doing the right thing, You know, <laughs> which is also akin to Dexter and living the code, except Kurt, obviously, his code was never flushed out by his father. His father just created more harm than good in Kurt's life. So that being said, it was a satisfying episode. It was also really difficult for me to watch. I was into him... Teaching Harrison about the Dark Passenger, but I also, it was a difficult moment because Deb is right. You can't go back. Like, once that is spoken, once that is said out loud, which, you know, Harry's the only one Dexter has ever talked to about the Dark Passenger, other than Deb, you know, now that Deb is in his mind, it, it's once it's said, it's said, it's out there in the world. So I don't know, David. Scott, tell me tell me your thoughts I, on that.
2: I <laughs> want to throw it to, yeah. <laughs> to Scott because Scott, you've done some of the most wonderful episodes of television in these moments. These episode nines you handle so well. I still remember Jessica Jones with her and David Tennant just walking through that house. Yeah. Um, you know, you know how to handle these moments where you're like, how do you explain these things? How does a how does a serial killer father who's finally reconnecting with his abandoned son finally you know speak to him about what he does in a way that is not incredibly terrible, but also maybe partly loving and you handled it so well. How did you approach that? Uh, I mean, every feeling that you were talking about there uh, is exactly what we wanted.
4: Mm -hmm.
1: (laughs) You know, that that, uh, we were really going for that. Like you're siding with Dexter because we've been with Dexter for nine years now and you want him to like.
4: And a missing decade. So like (laughs) almost almost, like two decades, you know? Yeah, yeah,
1: yeah, yeah. (laughs) yeah. And he's welcomed us in. We've been. Just as uh guilty of everything that he's doing as he is, because we know it, <laughs> and we haven't done anything about it, you know what I mean? And he's talking to us all the time, so uh yeah, we really wanted to we we had to fight our instincts a, a little bit because you know part of us wanted to like get to it, get the get the two of them together, but it just felt that having that presence of Deb in his brain always saying, "Don't do it, you can't you can't unring this bell. you say this thing, it's all gonna. Just, you know, in small little steps. But then with Dexter saying, please ask me. Please ask mm-hmm. me this next question. Please, you know. And, and watching, you know, uh, Dexter look at his son like he's a mirror, basically, you know, which is a sociopathic sort of thing. Uh,
4: well, well, and that was exemplified really well in this episode. I mean, I think throughout the season, the, the hair and makeup have done a phenomenal job of like actual and wardrobe of making these guys look, Really like family, you know, the yeah. way they do uh, the hair and the everything. The way that Harrison eats on camera is like yep. so Dexter, you know, it's like so perfect that this episode, it was, it all came, all that work, all that backstory, all that like little idiosyncrasies that the actors and the team put into mirroring these two came to, pay, it was a big payoff, I thought.
1: Oh, that's great! Yeah, I love that scene of the two of them sitting on the back of the truck. Because mm-hmm. uh, if you if you watch it again, there's just little things that that uh, that Jack is mm-hmm. doing because Jack's been watching Michael this whole season, and that the little there's like a little rub on the on on, the, on his leg, a little above his knee that they mm-hmm. both do. The way they're both sort of sitting there, their posture uh, that they really are mirroring each other by that time even down to the caps, which which yes. happened on the day because it was snowing so much that for continuity's sake, we had to put a cap on them and, and, and actually just enhance that whole no, scene. No, it, it
4: totally worked. Yeah. And it it, I, it was a great, like a beautiful accident, I guess you can say, yeah. because they really, it, it the convergence and now with Harrison, you know, watching Dexter and each step, he was, you know, and Dexter kept checking in on him. Are you okay? Are you okay? Do you want to go up? Do you want to, you know, da, da, da. Yeah. and he's like, no, I'm good. I'm good. I'm good. It yep. just was a big payoff to see them so similar in that moment.
1: Uh, yeah, and that moment uh, when the most beautiful and horrific moment in the episode for me—and there's a lot of them—but uh, but is that moment when uh, when Harris, when you're, the cameras on Harrison, the way that Marcos Siega just and, and Hillary shot that moment mm-hmm. down in that in that underground cavern, and uh, uh, Harrison says, "This motherfucker deserves to die,"
0: mm-hmm.
3: right?
1: And then Dexter turns, Dexter looks at him and goes up and he kisses his son on the forehead (laughs) and hugs him. And it's like the darkest moment, but also the most beautiful moment. Right. it, it, It encompasses all of these feelings that we're having of like, do it, don't do it, do it, don't do it, please, you know.
2: Right. What's so special is it's the first time that Dexter has someone that he, a real person, not someone in his head who he can trust. And who says, I'm okay with this. And maybe we can do this together. Because he's always been doing it by himself. This is
1: what he's wanted his whole life. Yeah, yeah. I mean, that's what we all want, right? We all want to belong. We all want to become something. We want our
4: children. We want our offspring to understand us. Like yeah. more than anything, you know, because there's
2: four kids, Scott. So this is,
5: this <laughs> we're, is, we're like these home. alien
4: beings, like trying to do right by them, trying to raise them, you know, try, you know, and eventually Hoping like, they don't hate just, us. Yeah, hoping they don't hate us. Like, I'm prepared for my kids to hate me for the next decade. It's okay. But you know, eventually I want them to come around like Harrison has and be like, I get you. Like I get, yeah. I get you. I get you. All your mistakes, all your idiosyncrasies, your dark passenger, everything. The moment for me, Scott, that <laughs> where I was like, Wow, there is no going back is after, you know, that great scene where the blood is trickling down from Kurt and he has the flashbacks with Rita in the bathtub and then he goes up top and you're kinda like, Okay, he needs a break. That's cool. Harrison fully needs a break. So what does Dexter do? <laughs> He opens that hatch and he's like, "Hey, put these body bags <laughs> of Kurt in the back of the ATV." And I'm like, "Oh my god! Dexter fully has lost he has lost touch with the kills so much that now that he has someone on the inside, he doesn't realize like I am handing my son like limbs of <laughs> of the well, first person he's seen."
1: <laughs> this is this comes from my own life where I uh I don't chop up bodies and all that. But, um, but that, that I, I often make that mistake of like, when someone says I'm fine, I go, okay. Yeah. And I don't read, you know, I'm married. I've been married for like 26 years now. And, uh, uh, there's oftentimes where I don't read the room in the correct way that, you know, we've had, have discussions where I'm like, listen, just tell me (laughs) because (laughs) if you say I'm fine, then I'm like, okay, great. Here's the dead bodies, you know?
4: Wait, and that everyone. is exactly what Dexter did.
1: <laughs> yeah. Okay,
4: so who who left the note? Is that is that um, is that from Molly? The note in bishop's mailbox when you can't say yet this well, is spoiler uh, let's clear. talk about it somebody talk about it with me that's why i'm here to <laughs> talk about like these moments so david pretend you don't know
2: <laughs> i don't I, well what helps is i i don't remember the scripts as well as i should i should because it's been months well i guess i remember the scripts as well as i should it's been months so i do get to sort of watch it with new eyes I'm like watching that going, oh yeah, who did write that note? Uh, I it's funny. It wasn't supposed
1: to be a, a a mystery in our heads when we wrote it. Like it's... Oh. Yeah, well, yeah. I mean,
4: is it I Kurt? I think it's Kurt. Like,
2: I think Kurt dropped
4: did it Kurt off. Did Kurt do it? Is that... Kind died. of a
1: final... Yeah, it's a, a final fu from Kurt.
4: Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm.
1: You could, could be, you know. It's, it's interesting you think it's Molly. Then you have to ask the question of like, why would Molly write a note like that to...
4: I don't think Molly would.
1: Because she would... She'd be like... This She's is, like, you know,
4: let's go get some, is- let's have some whiskey and talk about this. <laughs> that's exactly right. Yeah.
1: How do I, how do I turn this into my story? How do yeah. I grind this into something that's going to entertain the masses? You know,
4: by the way, I fully think that the Showtime team should create the Mary fucking kill podcast because <laughs> I would listen to it. I actually went on iTunes. I was like, how genius would it be if they were actually publishing episodes of this podcast? We did. It's out there. I, uh, I, have not, yeah, yeah. I haven't oh, you found one? it. I need to find yeah. it. <laughs>
2: <laughs> yeah, yeah, I'll send it to I'll send it to you guys. Yeah, okay, yeah. Scott, great. also you're the you're the genius behind the Logan breakup playlist, if I'm correct. That's right. Yeah, 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 yeah. Which you can get it's, on Spotify, which on Spotify, is amazing. Yeah. We've tried to make
1: uh, our, our podcast very interactive in that way. Yeah, yeah.
2: Yeah. Well, <laughs> let's talk about that for a second. So Scott, you've been uh you've been at the helm of this wonderful Dexter wrap up podcast, yes, pun intended. Um <laughs> since what season, Scott? I know we just brought it back. We started it, and, it
1: dec- uh season seven. Season seven and eight. And when when we did it, we were like the first tv show to yeah
5: there's, there's lots was of no podcasts Chris about TV shows. And talking
4: dead or yeah. yeah
1: yeah it was way before that yeah um uh, it was it was fun and you know people were sort of like uh, i guess you know they were sort of like hey, if you want to do it sure i guess
2: and now was, it's, it's like one of the most popular you know tv podcasts out there so congrats to that yeah, yeah. uh did what did you approach showtime with that idea or i did, did. They, okay
1: yeah 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 yeah.'m I'm, I'm way into getting as much out there as you can, like it, it can't hurt and and the fans are hungry for it, you know, and you
2: deliver it.
4: What is your favorite part? You've been with this character a long time. What is your one. favorite part about Dexter Morgan
2: Hmm,
1: good question. What is my favorite part about Dexter Morgan? Um, I mean, it really I guess it really comes down to his voiceover, the, w- the way that he he says the things in his head that we think. And that's Mm -hmm. why we love him so much. I also love his code. Uh, You know, I'm, it's, I'm I'm a big Westerns fan. I'm a big crime movie fan. Mm -hmm. And all the best versions of those are, are about these, are these stories about men with a code, you know, and what happens when the rest of the world doesn't live up to this person's code, Mm -hmm. you know, whether it's like Robert Mitchum and man with a gun or it's, you know, Parker movies, whatever. It's all, it's all there. And Dexter, Really feeds that part of me, <laughs> in the in the best of ways, and and also just the, the way that it's able to be so funny, uh,
2: and dark. Mm-hmm. Can we talk about the the comedy and the darkness for a second? Because this yeah. is this is where you and I intersect so well, and I I adore your writing in that way because you do handle oh, something sweet. that can be so tough and dark and intense and moody, and at the same time, all of a sudden these you know serial killer and serial Serial killer son are wearing the goofiest Christmas sweaters <laughs> you've ever seen, and you know you make t- you you know you gave Teddy some of his of his funnier lines, and it's just great to see that. Do you try actively to put the comedy in, or do you think it naturally comes as you're typing it out? uh
1: Yeah, I'm never thinking oh, I get I need a joke here. It just sort of happens. It just sort of comes out of the situation, and that you know, and oftentimes in the room, like lots of people pitch in on jokes. So there's lots of times when you know I'll write in a joke that's. Okay, not a joke, but like a funny moment. And someone will be like, you know, it'll be really funny. And they'll be like, that is really funny. And, and you know, that's how things just get better and sharper. And it's the beauty of writing in a room, you know? Um, like Wiggles, fun. man. Wiggles is the darkest and the funniest <laughs> <laughs> uh, opening. It's my favorite opening of, the, of Dexter
2: ever. Yeah. The, why? The whole sequence. I mean, it's uh, great, but I think like, like, uh, you're saying of all the episodes, I'd love to hear why. Yeah. Uh, uh,
1: well, because we've been away from that, Dexter, for so long. And, and it, the was, it, it was. It was
4: classic Dexter. The moment yeah. the episode started, I was like, ah, here we go. I know the, I know what's happening now. You know, he's yeah. going in, finding his proof, and then I know what's going to happen next. It was very satisfying as a viewer. <laughs> That's
1: great. Yeah, it's, uh, and it was Marcos and, and Hillary, who uh, our director and DP, who said, you know what, we're going to switch the, the aspect ratio and we're going to go back to the old version, the full, you know, it almost feels mm-hmm. like full screen on our big wide TVs. And changing the color and make them all desaturated and bright and shiny like like it is again. Yeah, it just it just felt like and I had to fight for it. Like, you know, Ugh. budget, budget started getting in the way, and people started going, you know, well, what we can do is just sort of do like best of versions of, of of his kills, and he could talk about all these kills that he's done. And I just kept going, you know, listen, this is not that story. This is what this is, this is a parent uh telling a truth in quotations about uh, their life in a way that's going to make them look bright and shiny and awesome, you know. Mm-hmm. So it's kind of true and it's kind of not true. There's, you know, yeah, but it's true to Dexter.
4: And, and when Harrison says, "You're kind of like Batman," that may <laughs> have been my favorite line of the entire series, <laughs> like ever. It was, it was just so like on the nose, but not, and and you could see like Michael C. Hall was like, yeah, yeah. <laughs> like yeah. that's like but okay I prefer that's, the Dark that's Defender. Something.
1: <laughs> which is like a callback from the old show. Like uh, he right, used to be, exactly. it, it was an episode about the the comic books and someone started doing a comic book about the Bay Harbor butcher and they called him the dark defender.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: When Michael is looking at the camera, was that you writing those moments in or yes. Marcos's choice? It was, no, yeah, that was, great. I
1: put those in like, uh, it was very, because now he really is. We finally get to settle into Dexter Morgan as a storyteller, you know, like there's lots of conjecture about the voiceover and its purpose and why it's there. You know, is he talking to, you know, back in the day, we were like, is he talking to someone on death row? Is he, is, is he actually just talking to us? Are these just his thoughts? You know, there's lots of, lots of arguments and thoughts and wild swings about why he's doing this. Uh, and, and this was sort of, for me, this was the opportunity to like, really go like, no, no, this is Dexter telling a story to someone.
5: Mm-hmm. And
1: right now it is to his son. I, I just love the moment when, when Harrison's voice intercedes in, you know, interrupts the storytelling and you're like, wait, what's going on? And then we, pop into this, pop into the cabin and it's all warm and the fire's glowing behind. And these, these this father and son are just having this like heart to heart.
0: Yeah. About murder. <laughs> murder. <laughs> yeah. I can't
2: believe we have to wrap up, but we do speaking of wrap ups, uh, Claire, Claire, <laughs> what do you think's happening in the finale? We got one episode left. What do you think, Claire?
4: David and Scott, I don't know. Um, the storyline is tied up. (laughs) (laughs) It's really going to be about if Dexter is able to, and chooses to reveal himself to the other person in his life who he has shown intimacy, which is of course his girlfriend, you know, she is on to him and how far he's going to take his quote unquote partnership with his son Harrison. So it's really, it's about, we're still in the triangulation of relationships, but it's changed from Kurt Dexter Harrison to Harrison Dexter Bishop. That's right. That's, that's, <laughs> that's where I'm going with it. I'm excited to see the finale. I really am. But also sad because it means it's over.
2: <laughs> yeah. All I'll say is Vincent Van Gogh is, uh, it's a, it's a big moment for him in the finale. <laughs>
4: yeah. I'm hoping so.
2: <laughs> yeah. Uh, uh, Scott. Thank you so much for joining us. It was an absolute pleasure. Everyone, please Scott, listen to the wrap Scott, oh, you're a legend. If you're listening to this and you somehow are not listening to the wrap-up uh, with Scott Reynolds, uh, I, I don't know how that's possible, but please, for the three of you left, uh, do that. And uh, we are thrilled to have on. You should definitely yes. check it out
1: for the finale because we're going to have Michael C. Hall, Jack Alcott, uh, and uh, Clyde and uh, talking all about the whole thing. Mark and Alex also, who uh, who are co-writers on the finale. So it'll be great. And maybe Vincent Van Gogh. And I love your guys' podcast, by the way. That uh, the horror film poster one uh, is my favorite.
4: Oh, yeah. Michael Rosenbaum. He's great. Yeah, yeah, I was yeah. like,
2: I want to see his collection.
4: He, he has quite the collection. And we have another Michael on today for the episode we do. of Fanatics. That's right
2: michael cyril creighton fred jr himself uh hilarious uh we got so friendly him and i and we text every week he's just makes me laugh and smile and he's currently filming season two of only murders in the building guys that's a good show if you love him in this show go watch only murders in the building for a million reasons one of them being uh, michael cyril creighton all right uh, let's deep dive in with madeline khan enjoy
5: And the best part, you can try it yourself with their seven-day free trial. Sign up today at philo.tv slash poppods. That's P-H-I-L-O P-O-P-P-O-D-S to get 50% off your first month.
2: Michael, when you meet somebody who doesn't know who Madeline Kahn is, what reaction
3: do you have? I feel pretty happy because then I get to talk about her a lot and sort of share my favorite thing with someone. Um, I'm a little aghast. I'm going to be honest. I'll be a little aghast. But, you know, it, she died several you know, decades ago. So there are young people who probably have no exposure to her. But I get excited because I get to talk about her. Uh, I always start with, like, my first movie that I saw of hers, which is Clue. And that was my entrance point, even though it was sort of later in her career, more, more mid-career. I explain that they have to watch Clue. Everything about Clue is perfect. Madeline Kahn is the most perfect part of Clue. And then I go backwards. And then if we get real deep, I'll get into the the musicals that she did and and sort of her her career on Broadway and some of her heartaches and things. And um, it's always always a dream to talk about her. So I would say I I give my top three favorites, uh, Clue, Paper Moon, and What's Up Doc are my three top favorite movies. And then I'll delve into you know, more ephemera.
4: And okay, so, Michael, for those for those people who don't know Madeleine Kahn. Right. Can you just give an overview explanation, the cliff note version of who she is as a person and as an artist?
3: Absolutely. So she is a comedic actress or was a comedic actress who was trained in opera and sort of landed in movies, which I don't think is where she ended up, I uh, thought she was going to end up going. She went to Hofstra for opera and then ended up doing film, doing theater. And she was sort of a singular voice, just a completely unique comedian, comedic actress. And, um, and just brought so much to everything she did. Even when it was a tiny little part, she made every single moment count and added value to every single project she was in she's was beautiful and funny and hilarious and gorgeous and had the best voice. And that's how I would probably pitch her to people. And she's right behind you. There's this
2: amazing painting behind you right now of her from clue with the wonderful black haired Bob and her necklace and her yeah uh, cut off shoulders. Yeah. And uh, I love that. That was the movie that you first learned about her. I think that was the movie I first learned about her too. And yeah, loved her so much. And, flames out of my head. Oh, my gosh. Uh,
3: It's the best. Yeah, I remember renting the video. We had a a video store in my town called Chicken Video, and I was probably, because they did fried chicken and videos, and um, (laughs) perfect pairing. And I was probably (laughs) eight or nine, I think, and I remember seeing the, the copy of the VHS and just being drawn to it, specifically her picture on the VHS. And one of my aunts rented it for me. I thought it was pretty scary at first because it is a little bit dark for an eight or nine year old, Uh, but then I slowly memorized it. And as soon as she entered the frame, as soon as she was on screen, I felt really safe because there was this sort of quality that she has that's, she's just very comforting to me. She always has been. I don't know why, I can't really explain it, but there's something about the quality of her voice, the flutter of her eyelids, the way she does a line reading, which I mean, at eight, I didn't know what a line reading was, but you know, it just, it really comforts me. And I feel uh, very connected to her.
4: With that first VHS experience, how many times did you watch the movie before you had to return it? Or were you able to convince your aunt to purchase it for you?
3: Oh, we didn't purchase it, but I would get it every week, probably. (laughs) I, I definitely watched it the first week. I think we were allowed to keep it for a week. I definitely watched it at least once a day, probably twice on the weekend. And then I delve into the other VHSs. There was this, she actually was my introduction into Saturday Night Live because my chicken video had a VHS of her performance on Saturday Night Live, her hosting gig from 1976. And it was so funny. And there's so many killer sketches in it. Um, So I rented that one a lot as well. And then I ended up buying it from chicken video when they closed. (laughs) So I have that in my house.
2: I gotta find that that hosting episode that she did. Um, That's my immediate Google after
1: this. It's
3: great. Her and Gilda Radner together are sort of just uh, like uh, incredible. And they do Barbara Walters and Marlena Dietrich. Uh, They do impressions. Uh, Madeline does an impression of a baby eating ice cream for the first time. and Oh, no, no. That's what um, Gilda Radner does. And then Madeline does an impression of a parakeet learning how to say hello, Madeline. Um, (laughs) It's really great. How good, how good was the fried chicken? Be real. I mean, as I, I think with no exposure to other fried chicken at the time, I think it was pretty good. I think if I went back in time, I'd be like, this is soggy and disgusting. But there was something great about being able to just one-stop shop, you know, get your dinner and get the mashed potatoes were good. They also had mashed potatoes. Oh. So I remember that.
4: So now let's fast forward a couple decades. How often in your life, Michael. Like today, will you watch a Madeline video or a VHS or a sketch or so? Pull it up on the internet, anything like that.
3: I would say at least now, at least once a month, I'll do like a quick YouTube search, see if there's anything I haven't seen or I've or that I've missed. And then my go-to sort of comfort video of hers or performance of hers that I find inspiring, especially if I'm working on something, because it's just uh, incredibly perfect timing, uh, execution. It's this monologue she does in Paper Moon where she's on the top of the hill. She's playing Trixie Delight and she's talking to Tatum O'Neill. And it's this really great monologue that sort of surfs all of the emotions. And uh, it's just this really perfect performance, funny, heartbreaking, um, just there's a lot to it. So I'll watch that every now and then to be like, oh, that's how it's done. That's how you do it. That's how you make a small speech last, you know?
4: Do you think you connect more with her as a person or an artist or like the combination of the
3: two? Mm. That's a really good question. I think initially I thought as an artist or I was just drawn to her because I was always drawn to, she was my first character actress that I got drawn to and that's been a constant throughout my whole life. I just love female actresses of a certain age. But um So it's like a fan of her work. And then as I've gotten older and watched interviews with her and read things that her husband has said about her, I feel like I relate to her on a personal level and also the way she works more than I would have ever known. Like she uh, said on one of her interviews that she always tries to find the darkness under the humor and the humor under the darkness. And that's really important to her. And it's only important to her. It's not that it's something that anybody needs to know. Um, That's something I always think about. She also often talks about how she, not, she couldn't follow the herd. She was going to have to do it on her own. And she was a lot of times in her own head, which could be very lonely, which I feel is very relatable. And I think, I think in many ways, there's a lot of uh, myself I see in her now that I know about her that drew me to her and I didn't even know it. Do you know what I mean? Like I read her biography and I was like, oh, this all makes sense. And I would have had no idea. Otherwise, you know, she's hard on herself. She's a perfectionist. She doesn't understand why people are laughing when she's being funny. Uh, she transmits sort of, she talks about how she can't help that her look and her voice and her package transmits a certain message and people pick up comedic vibes from her, whether she means it or not. I can relate to that. Um, but, you know, she, I just think it's, she would do anything for. Not do anything for a laugh, but she was so funny and also so serious. And I think that's such an interesting combination of a person. So I think I relate to her on a personal level more than I ever thought. That's so cool. Is this
2: something where, because I'm a huge Madeline Kahn fan, not to your level, but I've also had a secret place in my heart for her because whenever she's on screen, whether it be, you know, We'll get to all the movies, and you know, Blazing Saddles and Young Frankenstein and Clue and beyond. She's always the sh- the scene stealer. Is this something that you keep to yourself? Is this something that you share with other people? Have you found other Madeline Kahn fans? Is this something that everyone who knows you knows you like Madeline Kahn, or is it no? This is more uh, kind of just in your little late nights or early mornings, just the thing that you do? No,
3: I think it's everybody who knows me knows I love Madeline Kahn. I mean, that painting that's behind me that you see, my husband got made for me for our fifth anniversary many years ago. And I got it turned into a phone case. I have a Madeline Kahn pin on my on my jacket. It's more like a brooch. I'm not ashamed to admit it. Um, I, Everyone I know knows that she is my number one. I never get tired of talking about how much I love her. She's never not comforted me when I watch her. When she passed away, I was in college and I got a phone call from one of my aunts and she said, I just heard your friend died. And I didn't know who she was talking about. <laughs> and she was like, I was like, who? And she said Madeline Kahn and and um, she was right. That was my friend when I was young, she was my friend. That's who I spent my afternoons with after school and who I would watch all the time. Like um, I spent a lot of time with her. Yeah. So people know, I mean, it's no big secret. I'm not in any sort of online community. I do love talking about her with other people, people who knew her. I've had many uh, people in my life that have had contact with her or had seen her live. And um, that is very cool to get sort of some insight of people who knew her personally.
4: So someone who knows her personally or knew her personally before mm-hmm. she passed away what aspect do you want to know most about her personality? Is it is it how she went through her daily life, daily activities, is it how she prepared for a role? What do you ask that person who was close with her?
3: Well, one of my managers uh, was her agent at one point then the later part of her career. And I'll just sit down and be like, "Just tell me a story. Just tell me any Madeline story." And it usually is about like how kind she was and how funny she was and how great she was to visit on fire island and things like that and that's nice to know that someone i like so much liked her so much as a person and then when i hear uh like i had a friend who saw tapings of uh cosby when she was on cosby <laughs> long silence um but she uh she uh, was great was, on that she was incredible on that and apparently he was at a taping of it and she had this bit with a pen and every single time, this bit with the pen was different and longer and wilder, and she just brought everyone to to pieces. And um, but was totally serious the whole time. So it's really cool to hear that. I wish, I wish I had seen her live. I could have had the chance. I was in New York when you know I grew up on Long Island, so I was in high school when she was performing in musicals or or, or not musicals, but like concerts and. The Sisters Rosensway, which she won the Tony for. I could have seen those, and it kills me that I didn't. But sometimes maybe it's better not to, to see your idol. Now, every time I go to Lincoln Center, where they have the... Um, have you been, David, down to the theater downstairs ever... Um, mm-hmm. at Lincoln Center. Where no, have but you
2: have to show me when we go to the... <laughs> oh, yeah. When we do the Dexter premiere. I don't know when this episode... Say this episode will air before or after the Dexter <laughs> premiere, but that's where we're going to be. So okay. So well, you can you could you could show me personally.
3: Amazing. Downstairs in the theater, there's all these pictures on the wall of productions, and there's a giant picture of Madeline Kahn and Jane Alexander and Francis McDormand, maybe. And every time I go see a play at Lincoln Center, I put my hand on Madeline <laughs> and just say hi. Aww. Um I am. I, um, I mean, it's good that you asked me to talk about this, David, because it really is the thing that I am the most fanatical about.
0: Delve into the shadows of the mind with Sleeping Dogs, a gripping murder mystery starring Academy Award winner Russell Crowe, now available on digital. Crowe portrays an ex-homicide detective unraveling a brutal murder he can't recall. Uncovering secrets from his past, he learns a chilling truth. It's best...
4: So when when you touch her photo, and I've been to that theater many times, so I know the images you're talking about. Now I can't wait to go look at for that image. But when you touch <laughs> yeah. when you touch her, what feeling? Like what goes through your body? What goes through your mind when you have your hand at Lincoln Center on her on her photo?
3: I just get chills. It's like I am. I, I never got why like, people wouldn't like go and visit grave sites of people they loved or anything. It's not something that I would want to do, but there is something about it's, it feels I'm not a religious person or a spiritual, spiritual person per se, but it does feel like a little connection or just a little, maybe for a moment I'm saying hello and you can hear me. Uh, And maybe you, maybe she knows that she really added so much value to my life.
2: Your aunt calling you up and saying your friend passed is Probably, I think, we were only, what, 30 episodes of maybe we've recorded sort of in our can. I got a little, like, my heart, like, I, I got a little <laughs> teary. Almost more that your aunt is so sweet that she was so thoughtful mm-hmm. to know that you have such a sweet relationship. To be seen that way. I actually yeah. thought that was incredibly sweet. And that she sees youth. I think we should all have an aunt like your aunt. Yeah. Um, I got again, three of them, which is nice.
5: <laughs> you amazing. Know, they
2: all. Um, is there a scene of hers that exudes her genius to you that maybe stands out maybe above the rest or at least one that pops in your mind right yeah, now? Yeah,
3: I mean, the one, the one that's like a standout. I got to give three. I'm sorry. The one that I talked okay. about was the monologue on the hill in paper moon mm-hmm. is just perf- perfect execution. Really in the moment. Uh, I've read a lot about the the filming of that. And there were certain words she didn't want to say because she was actually quite prudish in, in real life. And uh, and how she kind of fought the director a little bit and being like, I don't want to say tits. But uh, uh, and then she does in the, in the final take. And, and it's, of course, perfect. Um, I think that's a perfect execution. Everything she does in Clue is always going to be my number one favorite just because it's my first. But her performance in What's Up, Doc, which is her first movie, it's like the introducing Madeline Kahn in the bottom, is really amazing and has always been an inspiration to me as an actor because she makes an incredibly unlikable character, sort of this very annoying woman, so likable and so funny. So her performance as Eunice Burns, I think, is in the top in the top there for me.
2: Can you just, can you, without going into like a, a a 25 minute detail, could you take someone through a moment with uh, Madeline? As you Burns? one of your favorite moments. Oh yeah. Yeah.
3: Okay. So she plays a very shrill uh, housewife who is always in sort of unflattering clothes and sort of a ridiculous wig. And uh, in the movie, Ryan O'Neill sort of, Becomes friends and is seduced by uh, Barbara Streisand. Uh, Barbara Streisand steals Eunice Burns' badge so she can come into a dinner with them, and Eunice is trying to get into the dinner. And she says, uh, we have they say we have a eunice burns here and she's like no, i am not a eunice burns i am the Eunice burns and she has a complete meltdown at the um, at the counter and then gets dragged out of the banquet hall screaming howard howard bannister howard bannister and it's just her the, the pitch of her voice could be so annoying in anyone else's mouth and in most people's ears but to me it's like music you know what i mean it's just she knows how to do it She had a master
2: and control of her voice. I'm even speaking slowly kind of thinking of her because she just knew how to eke out a comedic moment and she knew how to play with her voice. She did. That voice would go high and low and she would play and it's beautiful. It really is a work of art and someone who you're thankful she did opera because that made her so
3: hilarious and what a treat to know that that, exactly, that, exactly. Exactly. Her her voice is like an instrument. And then there's so much musicality to all of her performances. Um, so yeah, those are my favorites.
4: Do you think you connect with her a little bit because and maybe this is me just projecting myself into <laughs> your world, Michael Please. and Madeline's Please but, do. <laughs> but you connect with her because as an artist, like sometimes we're able to express ourselves in very different ways on camera or on stage than we are ever in our personal life ever in our real life and like you know i know for me i'm much freer as when i'm you know playing a character and have the confines of you know a story and a script and and in a way you're it's an emotional release do you think that's part of the connection that you have with her i
3: think so yeah definitely absolutely because is even in reading about her and how she treated her work and treated herself. I find there's a lot of overlap as far as how we uh, approach things. And in, um, for example, in What's Up Doc, she said that she didn't, she was feeling, what she was doing and what she saw on screen were completely different. She thought she was going to look beautiful, but they filmed her from below a lot. She looked in her mind rather chubby. She gave a performance that had no vanity whatsoever. It was like fearless and and wild and hilarious. But then when she saw it afterwards, really, uh, I saw her on an interview with Rosie O'Donnell. She said, the today, after I saw this, the premiere, I called a therapist and I started therapy uh, because it was so overwhelming for her. Um, people, she did not like seeing herself She was a vain person in in her personal life, but on screen she was not, but it was hard for her to watch herself. I understand that. Yeah. I just, a fun fact about that. And I do know that I sound like an idiot savant with her, uh, but she, because of what's up doc and because she was playing, came off very frumpy looking, she got cast in Maine with Lucille Ball, uh, the movie musical of Maine as Agnes Gooch. And when she got to the table read, she was this red-headed bombshell. She was not at all what um, Lucy saw in What's Up, Doc. And after the table read, Lucy fired her. Apparently. That's the story. Um, so she is not in the movie. Um, but that opened the way for her to do Blazing Saddles. So everything happens for a reason, right? But Oh my gosh. Yeah.
2: We rarely get into the craft, but because your fanaticism is kind of connected to what you do. And let's just use only murders in the building because it's also one it's a nice plug and two it's on hulu steve martin uh, michael's wonderful in it are you pulling from her at all when you're doing your thing like the scene where you're crying in i believe it's the pilot episode right oh, the second episode at the board, that's the second uh, episode the board meeting yeah like that's almost madeline Kahn-esque in my eyes just the way that you play that off is that does that pop in your head when you're doing it or is it more that you just let me love her so much and that you just, like, yeah, my style of doing comedy sort of blends with her. Or is it inspired by, or is it just I
3: think parallel? It, yeah, I, I think it's inspired by. I would never, like, approach a, approach a job or a script and be like, I want to do this like Madeline Kahn. But <laughs> like I said, the, the stuff about finding the darkness under the humor and vice versa, uh, I do try to approach stuff that way, as she did. So I, I think... It would be the greatest honor of my life to be compared to her in any way. I don't think I'm intentionally drawing from her, but she's uh, in my DNA in, in many ways just because I watch her so much. As
4: many great actors are. Like, we are inspired by those that are good at their craft. You know what I mean? Yeah. Whether it's a painter, yeah, yeah, yeah. like, this, you know, what we hang on our walls or what we watch. Of course, it's, it's you know, it's going to happen. She's going to influence totally. your work. <laughs> And my, exactly. my teacher exactly. at Strasbourg in New York city used to say, if you like a performance, steal from it, steal everything. Yeah. So
3: <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> Why not? <laughs>
4: if you could insert yourself in one of her projects, would it be clue and who would you play or Ooh. any of her?
3: Uh, oh God. Oh, that's a really good question. I think it would have to be one of the plays because then I would have gotten to spend more time with mm-hmm. her. Uh, Mm. Although she did quit plays quite a bit. Um, but I would say I would want to be in... I would want to watch a rehearsal process with her. That would be what would really uh, get me super jazzed, is is to watch her process and then get to perform with her. I, I, I would say maybe... Oh, wow. That's a hard one. But I think maybe... Um, on the twentieth century, even though she left, the, I don't sing. I mean, I could never be in it. I don't sing. It was a million years ago. But if I could jump into that process it's and a see hypothetical, what it was like, because she to, is
4: dead, I do want to remind you. Yes.
3: <laughs> no. I'm why sorry. are you being so mean? <laughs> <I'm> sorry. <laughs> um, you're right. I, I would say, um, Claire, you're breaking Claire. my heart. Um, I uh, <laughs> I think I would do uh, yeah on the twentieth century, just so I could watch that rehearsal process and see what it was like, and be there for her recording the album and. I think there'd be a lot of bang for my buck in that situation. Mm-hmm. I agree. Yeah.
2: Uh, is, it imp- is it important if your husband likes Madeline Kahn and does he?
3: Uh, he does. I think he he's not in any way <laughs> my level. I think he appreciates her. Uh, we have enjoyed watching her work together. He never is like, oh, please turn that off if she's on. He knows how important she is to me. He did get that painting made for me. He's very supportive <laughs> of my love. If he didn't like her, I think that would be a real challenge. If he actively hated Madeline Kahn, I don't know how we would have stayed together this long. <laughs> I hear you. <laughs> <laughs> you know? <laughs>
2: So, Michael, I, I loved getting to this point, and you kind of touched on it just a little bit early on, and I think this is why, like, if you ask me why I love Fanatics, it's for this moment, and so you did say it early on, like, I'm not sure why it is that I have such a connection to her. I mean, I obviously, you played with the idea that, yes, there's a lot of her comedic styling that you see in yourself, and also her life that you see in her in yourself, and that the more you learned about her. But let's dig into it a little bit. Like, you know, when I've thought about the things that I love, it, it's funny. It connects to either maybe a home life or things with my parents or whatever. Is there something that if you did have to dig a little bit now, why her? Why in this time of your life? Why in that moment in your life? Like, was it at the age that we were watching Clue and why? Are you yeah, I mean, I think
3: today? it. I, good question. And I think that it has to do. I've talked about this with other fans of hers. I think it it has a lot to do with being gay and sort of being a young age and seeing uh, being attracted to in a way uh, to this woman's glamour and her cadence and her her costume and her lipstick and like just like uh, you know she said uh, she says that that costume and clue made her feel like Judy Garland and there's nothing gayer than that Uh, but you know like I think at a young age not knowing. What made me me, or 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 what I was, I was learning what I responded to. It was my first introduction to a diva, in a way, in sort of my big gay crush, uh, and uh, it's just been one of the very few things that I've stuck with, you know, for decades and decades and decades and decades. You know, she's just been around forever, and I, I think that's probably part of it. You know,
4: when was the last time you learned a new tidbit of information about her?
3: Let's see. It might've been, it might've been on her birthday this year. It was the, um, it was the 29th of September and someone posted something about her husband said that when she would be asked to do commencement speeches, she would always tell the students about a time that she went to SeaWorld and she would see this big group of seals that everybody was crowded around and, you know, feeding them and, there was always this one seal over by the side and every now and then someone would come and bring it food uh, and it was able to live and, you know, it got a little attention here and there and then they would go away and that's how she felt. She saw herself as that seal. Um, And that was her way of telling the students not to follow the herd sort of sometimes you just got to do it on your own, which I thought, you know, it it is like every time I read something new about her, I'm like, well, that makes perfect sense that I'm so obsessed with her. Um, it really just does. Yeah, I love her. Oh, that's so great. Yeah, I love that.
2: Uh, for someone who's never seen her or is known about her, or even knew the words Madeline Kahn existed before this episode, <laughs> what would you tell them which movie or even a scene to watch if they just had a, a quick YouTube and or, hey, watch this movie, rent it?
3: Yeah. What would I say? Watch...
2: What's the first? What's the intro?
3: The very first is Clue. It has to be. It just has to be because it's like, everything about Clue is so great. And it's incredible that she stands out in a movie filled with such an incredible ensemble who... I mean, I could do another one of these about Eileen Brennan for hours. Uh, But like, it's just, you know, there's just that's the one because all the ingredients to me, and it wasn't a hit at all when it came out, but all the ingredients just work so well. And it is a bunch of weird characters, (laughs) character actors all together working together but somehow she was my Phoenix for that. And I would say that's, that's, that's the one that you'd have to start with and then go backwards and then move forward. And then absolutely end with her last movie, which was this small indie film called Judy Berlin with E. Falco and uh, Anne Mira, just an incredible cast, black and white about a little town on Long Island during a eclipse. And, it was probably just a few years before her death. I think it was making the festival circuit what, when she died. Um, it sort of shows you where she was going. And it was this really beautiful, funny, sad performance of a lonely housewife on Long Island, mm. during an Eclipse. And it, it, it makes me sad when I watch that one, because it's like, you could see where she was moving. And I, I just can't even imagine what else she would have done. Um, like what she would be doing now, you know, there's so much. It seems like her talents would be really utilized in this sort of streaming world. Yeah, you know what I mean? Because
4: she died pretty young, like late 50s, right?
3: Yeah, 57.
4: 57, yeah. That's young.
3: Too young. <laughs> Too young. Too and young. And also just like was in a new phase of her career, like doing an indie film. In your late fifties, at that time in ninety something, was a big risk. And she, uh, I've heard that she was the happiest she ever was on that set. So mm-hmm. that's a really good one, which is really hard to find. But Judy Berlin, black and white, really, um, really one of her best performances as well.
2: I would probably, I know you're, I know I asked the question, but I, I and I'm not the fanatic for her, but I do like her a lot. I would say just do a quick YouTube of I'm tired. I'm oh, so tired. From yeah.
3: That's saddles. so perfect. Just her
2: song. That's just, that's what I would have. Yeah. Recommended. That but is take, take Michael's advice. No, that with. one's really perfect.
3: <laughs> that, that is a good one. And the way she got that job is because she. sang brow house uh, at brow houses when she was in college to make money. So she knew those German beer songs. And then when she got fired from MAME, she heard they were doing that. She had a meeting with, Mel Brooks. And um, I actually was just watching an interview with him the other day and he said, well, I need to see your legs. I have to see your legs (laughs) because we, that they're very featured. And she like, you know, pulled her skirt up, showed him her legs. She's like, my legs are fabulous. She started speaking in the German accent and it was like a sealed deal. And it became this great, bountiful relationship between the both of them. So great. That is awesome.
2: Michael, can you please... Close us out with a beautiful love letter to your friend.
3: I would love to. Uh, dear Madeline, uh, thank you so much for everything. Thank you for being my constant, my number one favorite person to view at all times, at all, you know, different times in my life. Uh, the good and the bad, I can always count on you to cheer me up, make me happy, make me smile um I think of you as my guardian angel in many ways I wish that I had seen you live but I'm so glad your work lives on and I get to see it whenever I want on YouTube and um gosh you were the best and I really just love you thank you was that love okay
4: Michael.
3: <laughs> love Michael <laughs>
4: love Michael
3: love mm, so, was Michael okay. I think that fantastic. was more than okay I think that was fantastic yeah
2: Thanks. And you know what? I am not tired. I am energized from this beautiful conversation. (laughs) (laughs) So thank
3: you. Thank
2: you. I think what's so cool, I knew Michael loved Madeline Kahn before this conversation, which is why I was so excited to have him on for this. But I didn't know how much he loved Clue specifically. And the fact that he's in Only Murders in the Building. Steve Martin and Martin Short Show, it's such a cool thing that he kind of manifested his own version of being in his own Clue, because it's a very Clue-like show, and you should all watch it. It's a great show on Hulu. Uh, I think that's pretty cool that he's kind of Madeline Conning his own <laughs> destiny.
4: I love that. I I haven't seen Murders yet, but I, I have heard very good things about it, and I intend on watching it, and now I intend to do a back-to-back with Clue first and yes. then start the series because yes. my kids haven't seen Clue yet. So that that must happen.
2: Clue's so good. His talking about Clue so much reminds me, yes, Madeline Kahn. It's a stage play as a movie almost because you have Tim Curry. and Leslie you Ann Warren. Martin Mull. Yeah. Uh, yeah, it's, it's a really heck of a uh, Christopher Lloyd. It's a beautifully done uh, comedy that, shouldn't have been a hit, wasn't a hit, but is now thankfully these last, I feel like 10 years, almost social media has brought people more attention to Clue. I love those movies that you just, that grow in time. And Madeline Kahn really is, you know, something that he spoke to that I want to speak to too, which I love as well, is she is such a bombastic personality, but is also so small And knows herself and is a powerful force. And it's a reminder that you can be so comfortable in your own skin and really reminds me that as well. And that you can be so comfortable in your own skin and so grounded and so wonderful and hilarious. Like you don't have to do a lot to get the laughs. And I think that's a nice life lesson too that I took away from the convo.
4: Yes, that is. I I agree with you. You don't have to do a lot to get the laughs. But she also wasn't afraid to do a lot. That's what makes her such a genius actress is she could play the whole spectrum. You know what I mean?
2: She would do what needed to be done when it needed to be done. But she wasn't just throwing it all against the wall. I think that's perfect, Claire. She knew when to make a big, fun moment out of a scream, out of a screech, out of a dance move, out of a physical thing, but most but usually that only was so funny because she was mostly so uh, you know, even keel and grounded. So when mm-hmm. she made a move, it mattered. It was and a big move. It.
4: Does she have a star on the Walk of Fame?
2: Uh, we're going to do a post a post Google on this, a post convo Google. I hope she does, and if not, she I hope we get to be the reason. Between I mean, we you, talked about Gilda Michael.
4: Rodner. I know she does, and I mean, you know, they are similar in a, some ways, I guess. But you know, I she definitely deserves one and needs one because you know everything from Paper Moon to Clue to the last project that Michael was talking about, which I have not seen. I'm going to look it up. The black and white film she did, the indie film. You know, I mean, she's amazing. So, but my issue is like the Walk of Fame stars. It's kind of like a I don't know. It's it's like a purchase process. You know what I mean? Yeah. So I don't know if she has a fan group around now other than Michael, <laughs> and, you know, in this who is keeping her memory well alive. But I don't know if there's like a group that, you know, could initiate that because it's. Part- Listen,
2: if Californians can come together to try to recall a governor, we can get a petition list to get Madeline Kahn on the walk of fame I believe
4: but it's also about us. the money that's where it becomes convoluted you know what I mean I'm ready
2: I'm ready to spend I'm ready I got my wallet
4: <laughs> you, can can I, you I, pay a bitcoin that's yes. the question <laughs> I, I was gonna make the
2: joke I was like I got my bitcoin address let's just gotta
4: let's do it
2: make it happen yes guys thanks so much again for listening um, we are on this Dexter journey with you we have so much more goodness to come and we'll see you next Monday <laughs>
4: and wrapping up the Dexter episodes next week we have Dexter's son himself Jack Alcott coming on yes Harrison he is going to be coming on and talking about his fanaticism for bowling so it is definitely an episode not to be missed we'll see you guys next week thank you for listening to fanatics a Roddenberry podcast Flames,
2: on the side of
4: my face. I said flames,
2: all over the place. We love you,
0: Madeline.